you know what's coming up? Uh, your birthday. Hey, yes. <laughs> yes, it's Scorpio season. Uh-oh, watch that, out. and it's also Veterans Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Veterans Day. We get a day off and whatnot and honor the troops and yeah. Don't sleep on Veterans Day. But I'm always so mixed about it. Of course, I want to honor and pay respect to those who have sacrificed for me, like their lives, careers, and families, and for our country. But I just struggle so much with war and violence, and it's really hard for me to contend with that. I remember learning in high school that there are so much things that go on in war, and specifically, there are holy wars and just wars, but that didn't compute much for me. Yeah, big yikes to those (laughs) ideas. Like the idea even reaction to holy war for me is, well, just big yikes to all these things. Does not compute, does not compute, right? You know, my experience (laughs) with this holiday, I don't know, has mostly been a looking forward to on being a day off. I've always also connected your birthday to it since they're so close. But um, I also think... You know, I think about um, the veterans that I know in my life um, very much so. And so I have a lot of friends um, that I've met through life, especially like rugby and sports that are are veterans that I really appreciate. But especially I think my first kind of occurrence with veterans is our our family. As you know, we have tons of family who um, have served in some capacity. So, yeah. Totally. I feel like, you know, we use it as a day off, but often don't really reflect on um, the sacrifices and kind of the things that have made people um, be veterans and lose their lives or continue to be here in the struggles that they faced. I also really like to learn a lot about history, but I didn't even, I don't feel like I learned everything fully, or maybe I did learn it and didn't retain a lot of the U.S. history. And frankly, the history that I feel like I do remember or did learn left out the stories of racialized groups and also left out the stories of women. So I thought it would be kind of cool to celebrate these folks and tell their stories, even like starting with our own family. What do you think? Um, I'm down for that. I know uh, it's so interesting you bring up this point about history. I remember uh, in history class, it was to me always so such such a tough class because Partially, it was very boring to me. Uh, I think I never connected with the content. And the times where I wasn't bored, I was afraid because the only time it seemed that Black people entered was slavery and uh, Black people exited with slavery. So I'm glad we're going to add and hear some more stories about, um, you know, from a historical perspective uh, for people of color. Because who knows, maybe as a younger kid, I would have connected Uh, more with some of the things that we might be talking about today. Yeah, and we've had a lot of people in our family um, fight in wars and be um, military service people, like starting with a grandfather. Do you remember anything specific about like grandfather or him telling stories or um, just his, you know, life with respect to military service? 
Yeah. So I think uh, grandfather and I had a special relationship uh, because he had actually learned to speak French uh, through his time um, serving in World War II. And so that was a class that I had just you know, chosen to take in high school. And so we would connect in French, but I always feel so nervous and self-conscious because his French was really good. And I'd be like, oh, he'd always be like, you're not pronunciating that right. And I'd be like, ah. <laughs> uh, but I had one interesting story that I, I want to sh- tell, which um, gets to the idea of how um, sometimes history is whitewashed. And for students is, I remember being young and we were reporting um probably like I was probably in the third grade third or fourth grade maybe fifth um and I had talked to grandfather I was fairly certain that he had served in world war ii and I brought it up to a white classmate and he kind of looked at me and said like there's no way that you're right like your black grandfather served in world war ii maybe you're thinking of a different war and uh I think for me in that moment, I questioned, I questioned it. And I was like, did he actually serve? And am I confused? And I guess that might make sense. But I think that goes, for me, was a point uh, for now and reflecting back is a point of like how people of color and other kinds of folks um, have been erased in many ways from history um, and uh, need to be recognized. So yeah, that that's kind of... I've, And it's so interesting that this experience that I had at such a young age is still sticking out to me. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I remember about grandfather um, and him being proud of the service that he did and um, what he was able to do for this country. I don't even think I knew he spoke French, number one. Number two, like spoke French fluently. That's kind of amazing. Um, I remember... I remember his funeral. Uh, So he had a service, a military service funeral. He was in the army. And I just remember like the horns and the flag and was like super proud. I had never been to a funeral that like um, really honored his service or anyone's service. And so I thought that was super cool. And another thing that kind of like sticks out in my head is having people in our family that served in the war and mom telling us like, especially her brother and folks that had come back from their time overseas and, you know, they had fought for their country and expected to be treated once they came back, you know, like the heroes that they were and how they were continued to be second-class citizens kind of put in their place when they came back to the States. And it's kind of like, what? Like I've put my life on the line so Mm. that you could be free and you're going to treat me like that still. I think they had this um, idea that once they came back, things would be like, you know, it would be how they should have been. And they just weren't, Mm. you know? Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, Kind of grappling and dealing with that serving. I think of uh, immediately of like Muhammad Ali and him saying uh, a, a quote that's not verbatim, but around like, you want me to, uh, fight brown people over here and you won't stick up for the brown people that live um, uh, in the United States. Um, wow. I think about all the service that our family has done. I can think about our cousins who fo- fought in the global war on terror, which feels icky to call it that to me. Uh, it's uh, um, But that's what 
you know, the powers that be um, address it as, and so I want to be respectful to them while also in some ways being critical as we should be here, especially. But, you know, our uncles have also fought in the Korean War and conflict and also the Vietnam War. Um, and so I know that uh, I've had conversations with our family around their experiences there as well. Yeah, I think we totally need to honor and lift up those folks whose stories are suppressed, untold, and forgotten. Don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I wish, you know, there was someone to do it earlier because who knows, I maybe would totally be a history buff now. But why I don't... mean, we should have the air horn. Like, we need an air horn right now. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, how how far back should we go when we think about American history? Do you want to start this conversation? Like, do we go way back? Really? Like, we didn't just start in like the Vietnam Wars and after (laughs) we got equality and civil war, we're we're taking it back to where? As far as like, we talking uh, war in eighteen twelve? We talking about (laughs) French and Indian War? Like, where we American Revolution? Is that where you're trying to start? Yeah, let's start there. Let's oh wow! There. Okay, from the jump, let's, <laughs> let's start kick there. It. Uh, so, history historians estimate between five thousand and eight thousand African descendants actually participated on the side of the Patriots, and twenty thousand served the crown. So, twenty thousand. I don't think I knew that. Like they served for England, and like you kind of are like, wait, what? But, you know, a lot of people know the story of Crispus Attucks, who was very well known. He's the first man to die for the rebellion. Like he, and not only first man, but first black person to die for the rebellion. But what we don't know about this G over here named (laughs) Colonel Ty, let me just tell you, I'm like blown by him. Okay. So he's well, he's less well known, but he actually fought for the Brits. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Why did you fight for the Brits? I don't get it. This is why, okay? He was enslaved in 1775, but the British offered him freedom. He was like, definitely. He had a brutal master. um, And so he was like, if I can get freedom, I'm going to fight for whoever. Are you kidding? Mm. So he actually raided the houses of the Patriots. Um, and he tried to keep his men safe. He liberated slaves when he went to raid houses and he killed slave owners, like literally killed slave owners because they were too cruel. They were like, nope. Mm. Um, and out of respect for him, they gave him the title of Colonel. So he said, put some respect on my name. I'm Colonel Ty. Can mm. you believe that? Yo, my mind is blown. And for a couple reasons, one, and maybe because we're on the side of the U.S., we don't hear much about the crown or I'll use I statements. I didn't hear much about, you know, fighting. So the idea that um, over around 20,000 um, African descendants were in the war, I'm like, I had no idea, no clue whatsoever. Same. And then also... Um, one thing that I always had trouble wrapping my mind around was this um, idea that Crispus Attucks fought and was the first to die um, in the war. And I know that for me was a sense of pride because I was like, oh, look, there's black people in history. But one thing I couldn't understand is how was he fighting when he was, wasn't he a slave? And, and so uh, wouldn't he have been a slave? But also the way that I think I, I've been taught is that um, 
it, it almost slavery it was as if slavery hadn't happened yet when it comes to the american revolution that uh we don't even hear about slaves. We don't start to hear about slaves till the Civil War. And so this idea that, yes, there were still slaves and they were there, um, especially in hearing about Colonel Ty, I think is like super, uh, I appreciate that because it's like, yes, don't forget uh, the U.S. and uh, um, even if we weren't technically the U.S. now, was using slave labor. Um, and so I appreciate this idea that Colonel Ty uh, recognized that and also was over there liberating slaves um, and um, yeah, uh, cruel slave owners got what, you know, uh, a lot of people would say they deserved. So yeah, I'm curious, Nia, if you have anything for the Civil War. You know, actually, I like to focus on soldiers post the Civil War. Do mm. you know that Bob Marley song? I love that song. Buffalo Soldiers, you know, Buffalo Soldiers. Yeah. Dreads like Rasta. You remember that song? Okay, okay, <laughs> musical selection. You know, I got a little something, something. Uh, these were African-American uh, post-Civil War soldiers who were stationed on the western border of the then U.S., Six all-Black units were created to, in quotes, control the Native or Indigenous populations. It's so interesting how, like, racism and white supremacy work. Like, this conflict between two marginalized groups. However, one of those groups, Black people, were fighting for white people. Like, fighting each other, but fighting on behalf of white people. That's fucked up, right? Yeah, I'm, I am I am shooketh right now. Um <laughs> Because, you know, I've heard of Buffalo Soldiers and, and, and this uh, through the Bob Marley song, but I'm just thinking right now there's so much we didn't learn about. But the idea that, you know, uh, two marginalized folks in the struggle fighting themselves on the behalf of white people is just... Uh, You're uh, so fucked up, right? White supremacy yeah. at its finest. White white supremacy at it again. And what about the Harlem Hellfighters? Have you heard about them? What do you think? No, we went to the same school. Did you... <laughs> Did you, had you heard about them? No, tell me. Another all black unit, but they fought in World War One and spent more time in combat than any other unit per um, our sources, right? So they spent more time in combat than anybody else. And yet we never heard about them. Like what's going on? Like, that's crazy. You know, or has anybody acknowledged the Black Rosies? You know, that sign with Rosie the Riveter, that that infamous, iconic um, war propaganda sign, that white woman with the red bandana that has the you can do it propaganda. You know that bandana I'm talking about? For sure. You got a poster of it, I think. Um, but she's black. She's black. She's, she is black. It was, I think, a Spellman poster, but anyway. But what you don't know was there were over 500,000 black Rosies who worked mm. by their sides. They worked as sheet work, metal workers, shipbuilders, electricians, welders, railroad conductors, and more without a thank you or a page in the history books. That's also fucked up. Black black women, like I said, <laughs> are, pre are, are past, are present, are future. Right? Or shout out to the Baruquineers. They're the Hispanic 65th Infantry who fought in the Korean War. 
Don't get it twisted that our Latinx, Hispanic, Latina people fought in wars for the U.S. prior to that. But this unit, though, was awarded the American Presidential and Meritorious Unit commendations for their service. Like, stand up. It's crazy, yeah. right? Because, like, people will have you believe that, you know, black and brown people don't love this country and won't do, you know, the things that need to be done for this country. But we consistently have either been forced or sign up ourselves to fight for this country because many of us love the country and want it to be better. And the mm -hmm. fact that despite that, you're still not given your citizenship and all of the things that come with it is messed up, right? Like you have literally put your life on the line for the service of others and you don't even get a page in the history books. Like what's worse, you know? Absolutely. And, and speaking, you know, like of black folks, also women, women are frequently left out of the history books. Um, Juanita Mullen, she's an American Indian indigenous woman who served in the Gulf War. She's an Air Force vet or Gail Schillingford, a U.S. Army private was deployed for 10 months. An African-American woman from Wayne's hometown, Philly, who went into the army to earn money for college. She fought in the Persian Gulf. Or Darlene Erska, who was a diving officer. She was the first of three women to do so. The first woman to command a ship in the U.S. Navy during the Gulf War. She was able to use the GI Bill to get uh, her Ph.D. in sociology, specifically military sociology, in gender, work, and family. If not all of these heroes would come home to face racism, sexism, exclusion, and marginalization, Darlene was able to use the GI Bill, but so many others are not as lucky. In August 1917, U.S. Senator James Vardaman of Mississippi warned that once a black soldier was allowed to see himself as an American hero, it would be but a short step to the conclusion that his political rights must be respected. So bringing black soldiers home like to the South with expectations of equality, he predicted would inevitably lead to disaster. This thinking led to violence, mob mentality, abduction, a refusal of service, lynching, humiliation, and more. So in addition to difficulty getting the GI Bill and other things promised to them, they were often threatened with death. Like, welcome home, soldiers. Mm. And I, my reaction just to that is like the idea of white rage and a white violence as other folks um, start to gain maybe more um, equality and, and, and gain more rights. And so for clarification purposes, right, that when you talked about um, the idea that this person thought um, these rights would in inevitably lead to disaster and violence followed and mob mentality um, and abduction followed, I want our listeners to be clear that was white people doing those <laughs> things, right? Um, so especially especially when we have conversations today about like like uprisings and, and they were doing these things to perpetuate inequality. And yeah, I, I I'm you're you I'm gonna be mad today after today's episode. I already <laughs> know I'm gonna have to do a, a some some grounding techniques today. <laughs> You know, because we often are told like, well, if you would only, you know, um, dress right or talk right or be respectful to authority, then, you know, bad things wouldn't happen to you or your people, right? These folks literally put their lives on the line, literally did things that many of us would never 
want to do, right? Could never even fathom the things that they've they've seen, uh, the people they've lost, the sacrifices they've um, had to make for us and for our country. And yet they come home to lynching and humiliation and refusal of service and promise of education and homes through the GI Bill that never materialized. Like, where they do that at? It's so wild to me how many stories that I'm learning now for the first time and these perspectives, right, I'm hearing now. Because I remember learning about the GI Bill and how crucial and, and great that was, but not hearing these parts of the stories. There's many stories, right, that we've talked about today. And I'm ashamed to say I maybe knew like about one or two of them. Uh, the most stories that I know about non-white soldiers just happen to come from our family, actually. Definitely. We have so many family um, that are currently living, that have passed, that have given their lives in service. So from Ar- Army to Marines um, to Air Force, like we kind of have all of the branches represented. I think we even have folks that um, were in the Navy and we have an opportunity to hear the words of one of our very own uncles who was in the military. His, his story is a little bit different than one might expect. Um, so let's listen to the letter read by yours truly, Wayne Garris. Hey, Nia, here's some info to enlighten you on my time in the Marine Corps. I was a jockstrapper, one that was TAD, Temporary Assignment of Duties, to participate in playing sports, football, basketball, and running track, representing the U.S. Marine Corps. I don't tell any ex-Marine about what I did in the Corps, only about the unit I was assigned to. The 6th Marines, 2nd Division Reconnaissance Company is probably the highest decorated unit in the Corps. You have to score very high in various elements of your training during boot camp to be assigned to this unit. This is why I don't tell ex-Marines about being a jockstrapper. I'm actually embarrassed about talking about my Marine Corps experience. Most people visualize this big, bad, tough person with a lot of exciting military experiences. Not me. Your Uncle Frank is the one to interview about a military experience. Did you know he received a Purple Heart for his service in the Korea conflict? I doubt if he will talk about it. He has never told the story to me of how he became a recipient of the Purple Heart. Wow. Um, I know I'm having some reactions to hearing that. Um, Nia, what comes up for you uh, as you hear that letter? I think, you know, one of my immediate reactions is I didn't know. I didn't know what a jockstrapper was. I just knew that... um, my TO served in the military and specifically the Marine Corps is something I've always been super proud of. It's interesting to me that he used the word embarrassed because like I, I can, I can understand. I understand why he feels that way, but I was just kind of sad that he Mm. used the word that he was embarrassed of, you know, that he was assigned to, um, to be a jockstrapper essentially I'm grateful, actually. Like, I don't know. I kind of, we don't know. We don't know, like, 
what would happen if you were actually fighting and if Mm -hmm. you would be alive really to tell the story. And yes, when you're comparing war stories or when you're, when you're comparing your time in the military, it's probably not the sexiest thing to be like, I actually didn't fight and I represented Mm -hmm. the Marine Corps in these other ways. Right. But in some ways that builds morale for the folks that are still here in the U S like on the ground or their families, like to be able to represent the Marine Corps and sports and, excel in those ways um continues to to bring you know fanfare to the marines Mm. um so that's my immediate reaction thinking about like his feelings of embarrassment i'm sad for that the other thing i kind of was thinking about is wow he was really lucky right like he a lot of black and brown folks were shuttled off to military Mm. to fight like because a there was not a whole bunch of opportunities but b i'm sure there were some predatory practices right like trying to Mm. prey on um young black men and men from um low socioeconomic backgrounds or even maybe rural or urban backgrounds and so i'm like how lucky is it for you that in in those days you were able to go to college playing sports and still, you know, serving your country, but with very little threat to your life. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. What, what comes up for you? Mm, yeah. Um, thanks for sharing as well. Um, I connect a lot with that sadness piece that you mentioned, uh, when you hear him use the word embarrassed, um, Yeah, I think I just have a reaction to embarrassment. I know you and I both struggle with embarrassment and uh, Mm -hmm. coping with that. And I just, yeah, I I think I am proud of of him just because of who he is and and have come to love him. So the idea that he would experience, um, have a negative experience for something that I know that um, a lot of people have pride in, right? It, it, it's it's that disconnect or, or that difference for me that um, like I'm just more curious about. And I think about all the other people who serve and for whatever reason might be um, embarrassed about things that they had to do or, or, or what happened. Um, but I think another thing that really stands out to me is what I imagine for veterans is some of the things they focus on is kind of what you mentioned, the idea of war stories, but the idea that in order to be a veteran or a real veteran or have that identity, it needs to come with a sacrifice and that sacrifice needs to look a certain way. And so um, for me, you know, as a, um, gosh, what's the word? A civilian. Civilian. Right. Me as a civilian, for you to even go, right, to be away from your family, for you to have to do boot camp, to do all those things to me is is a sacrifice. And uh, who's to say, I'm certainly not one to say one sacrifice is more um, than, um, you know, another. And I just appreciate anyone who, I guess, would 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 do it in general, because I know I, I wouldn't. Um, right. <laughs> and... Uh, I think about, you know, in many ways, a lot of our family, uh, and one thing we weren't able to discuss with them, I'm not sure how much choice, right, they had right. in in the service. And if, 
you know, if they actually had a choice, if they would, if they would do it, my guess would be, well, I'm not sure. Cause I know a lot of them are, you know, uh, kind of, they hold what they did with a lot of dignity, but then to think about if I'm to serve, but then I come back and I don't get to reap any of the rewards for serving. Like, why would I do it kind of in the mm-hmm. first place? Um, but yeah, I think I'm grappling with some of those feelings as I listen to the letter, but definitely just um, a, a good deal of sadness and, and love for our uncle. Yeah. And I want to respond to something you said, cause it came up like as you were talking, which is like, this very human question, like the sadness that he feels to me is very related to, am I enough, right? Like, mm. am I Marine enough in this mm. circumstance? Like, do I have the experiences or the cred to even claim that I'm, you know, a part mm. of this esteemed organization? And I think the same thing is true for how we feel in many circumstances right? Am I black enough? Am I Mexican enough? Am I whatever enough? And, and even still like all of those things and specifically our men and women and folks that are not on the, the binary, right. Um, that serve in the military. It's like, am I American enough? It's still that question, right? Cause mm. clearly no, when you come back, you're not American enough. And the fact that he has to kind of grapple with, am I Marine enough to Mm. even call myself a Marine because of the service I had doesn't look like the service other people had and they will judge me for that. Or I, you know, they will look down on me for that. And I can't even stand in what I've done Mm -hmm. and the accomplishments I've made because I am made to feel less than I, it's just so heartbreaking. Mm, Absolutely. Oof. You know, uh, Nia, we started this conversation with you talking about your mixed feelings regarding Veterans Day, right? Um, I'm sure there's also maybe some professional conflict or cognitive dissonance. I just, for me, what comes up when I first heard you talk was like, right, you're ta- you're, you have a professional oath with medicine, right, to do no harm. Uh, I think that's what they say, right? And so I'm curious about... Um, how you grapple with that cognitive dissonance of you and your own life and what you have to do. You're kind of have this oath to do no harm, but the connection to veterans and war and there being harm in that and how you navigate, I don't know, honoring both or, or or if you honor both and if you could just unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting you brought in medicine because I don't think medicine really crosses my mind at mm. all when I think about um, Veterans Day and like my 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 conflict with it. I think it mostly comes from my face, and you know I identify as a person of um, who tries to walk in faith, and I'm mm. Catholic, and it was always hard for me in school where we were talking about ways that we are supposed to respect life right? Mm. And all of the things that come with respecting life. And yet somehow we're okay with holy wars or we're okay with just wars or, you know, it, it's okay to kill someone, right? Mm. In, in the context of war, in the name of faith or in the name of whatever. 
But yet in every other instance, killing someone is wrong or going to war, hurting your brother is wrong. And so that I think is what's hard for me. And even more than that, you know, even even if it is a, a a conflict that needs to be that can't be resolved any other way, which okay, when they come back and when our veterans are struggling with PTSD, so post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. when they um, are homeless, when they are incarcerated, when they don't have all of the things that they are deserved, that is just it 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 in, in incites like a level of like rage and disappointment that I have Mm. with our country. It's like, we sold you a lemon. Like we sold you this bill of goods. We promised you all these amazing things. If you would sacrifice your life, you know, I have friends in the military and I've got um, spouses of those in the military that literally move all around their whole entire lives are disrupted. And what do they get for that? Right. Mm. They get spouses that are trying to reintegrate to civilian life, Mm. who struggle to find jobs, some of them, right, Mm -hmm. who have serious mental health um, issues because of things that have happened. Um, And we don't don't do right by them. And so I think Mm. a lot of my conflict about that stems from, like, religiosity and thinking Mm. about how do we respect life and whose life matters. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Yeah. uh, One thing I think about is, you know, the intersections of all your identities and how they they come through. Uh, And so that religious aspect. And I know we're wrapping up um, here, but I want to call attention to an honor that when we've talked about Veterans Day and it has really been from the perspective of veterans, um, well, uh, and sharing kind of their stories, especially veterans that we haven't learned about maybe in the past, such as folks who have served um, uh, being people of color. But I also want to call attention to the idea, right, because I think there is even some privilege in being an American veteran and that um, the, the way we're talking about it, we're not acknowledging the idea of imperialism and what we get to enjoy these rights. And so usually people, our veterans are fighting wars over there and we're kind of, uh, as Americans get, you know, uh, some privilege. So I just wanted to call attention to that. And then how do we reconcile maybe being anti-war, but also have being to get to enjoy the Americans for living in U.S. society and not having to really, um, you know, we can turn off the conflict we see on TV um, and, mm-hmm. and push that out of our minds where other people who we might be in wars with and conflicts with can't. Um, and so, and, and wrestling with those things. But that might be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, because we don't see the ravages of war, right, from mm. um, that aspect, how certain communities, right, their communities aren't there anymore or mm. they are have been ravaged by what American soldiers have done to them. Um, and we don't even know about all the um, injustices that happen while people are at war. We don't hear all of those stories. Um, yeah. A lot of those stories are not told or not or suppressed in some way. And so that might be a whole other episode, right. but I think you're right. And I think we have to acknowledge um, all, all of that when we are talking about war and we're talking about veterans and service in the military, because it's, um, it's, it's you know that 
the proverb of the 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 hunter, right? It's always gonna the glory is always gonna be on the hunter because the hunter is telling the story. Right. So I appreciate you for sharing all this great wisdom and knowledge and nuggets that you did, Nia. And thanks to them for being bold. Hey, as always, <laughs> stay stay bold. bold.